All right, well, good morning, everyone. We are, have a wonderful opportunity to worship our God as we have this morning. And, and just, I was thinking about Ted's talk. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Some of you guys that like watching the internet or watching that there's Ted talk. I was just thinking about Theodore's talk. <laughs> um, I was thinking about names of what he was just mentioning. I thought, you know, one, when I started reading in the scriptures as a young Christian, I decided to look up the word Mitchell. And, well, to my disappointment, Mitchell was not in the Bible. But Michael was. And I learned that Mitchell is a derivative, a variant of Michael. And Michael means friend of God. And I thought, how wonderful as a new, brand new Christian at that time, I'm thinking, I'm a friend of God, you know? So I was just thinking about his words, and it just had a, a moment of nostalgia for me that I so appreciated uh, with that. The other thing is this. I'm, we're starting our summer series on Wednesday. And not to steal thunder from anything that is there, but I wanted for us to have our minds set for the summer series and I want to go through one of the main passages that deals with this concept of wisdom. We're told by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians that everyone has knowledge, right? But he says knowledge puffs up. That's what knowledge does. The flip side is love. Love builds up. So rather than puffing up, we see the built up. And James basically does the same thing for us. He is talking to us about the kind of wisdom that builds up. And so as Parker was reading for us from verses 13 through 18, this contrast between heavenly and demonic wisdom is on display. That's what we see here. And I want us to, to look at this letter from that vantage point. And so the first thing that you'll notice through the book of James, or James' letter, if you will, is this concept about how we think about ourselves and how we think of others, particularly others. Now, back again in 1 Corinthians 8, when we're talking about love and, and what have you and, and the knowledge and how it pops up, the Apostle Paul later on was saying, you know, we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, right? Because sometimes we may think way too much of ourselves. And I don't want to jump so far ahead, but that's this whole concept of how we think about ourselves and about others has a lot to do with the kind of wisdom that we employ, that we practice, if you will. And so with that in mind, I want you to, to note this about the letter of James. So I'm going to show you this concept of wisdom when it's mundane or just incidental wisdom, and then the kind of wisdom that has a, a morality attached to it. The first one is right here. And this reminds me of a, a brother in Christ. I'd never have met him. But he had a reputation of himself, so much so that even though I didn't know him, I knew about him through that reputation. The reputation was that he could read Greek. And so that's pretty impressive, not just everyday Greek today, but Koine, you know, first century Greek, so much so he could write the New Testament himself and so on and so forth. Well, the, that was a wonderful blessing, and it showed a lot of wisdom as far as being able to learn that language and employ that language in his biblical studies. But there was another type of wisdom that he was employing that I didn't think was very good, personally, my judgment of him. That was so that no matter what anyone said, he was the author authoritative stance on everything Greek, as if 
no one else could have ever said anything about, about the Greek language because he was it. That's the reputation. Whether it's a true reputation or not, I don't know. And I'm glad I don't know his name, actually. It's good. But here's the thing. He would question anything and everything what someone would say. And that can itself be a blessing, and it can also be a curse, right? Know it all about that. I'll give you one illustration of that with James. Did you know that the word James actually is not a right translation in the letter of James? Huh? Did you know? It's like, that should be a video. Did you know? This is the word Jacob in English. And if you go to Google and go to the Greek, you know, translation from English into Greek, here's the word Jacob in Greek, Iakobos. That's the word. Well, that may mean nothing to you right now, except for the fact that that's the word Jacob. And that is found in James chapter 1, when James introduces himself as the author of the letter. And so what I, in reading and studying this, I was thinking, interesting. Why is it not Jacob, the letter of Jacob, right? And so as I was going through the rabbit hole, rabbit trail, one up, anyway, the rabbit thing, I was doing that study, and I was going, okay, here you go from from Hebrew into Greek, and you got this word, I think it's Rechab, I think if I'm not mistaken, in Hebrew, and then from there into Greek, and then from Greek into Latin, Latin into German, German into French, and Latin into French. So that's how you got it, and then from French to English. And it was, when you go through all those generations or different languages, you have variances because you cannot transliterate a word very easily from one language to the other. Long story short, Jacob turned into James. And here's how we got this letter. That's incidental wisdom, right? And that's kind of fun on one hand. On the other hand, if that's all I ever did in my preaching, I hope you guys would yawn because that's boring stuff. I mean, it's interesting to me, but if that's all I ever did, what does that do for you in your walk with God, right? Nothing. Whether it's James or Jacob, same person that wrote this letter. Okay, so this is incidental or mundane type wisdom. And these are things that we can have good time studying about and what have you. But there is something that, much, that is much more important. It's the kind of wisdom where we have relationships with each other. And that's exactly what James is dealing with in this letter. And this is so crucial for us that he, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, is talking about this kind of wisdom and saying, you've got heavenly wisdom, and then you've got something that is earthly or demonic. It's just the opposite. And when you look at the practicality of this wisdom on display, one builds up, the other destroys. That's what we're seeing in this letter. And here are the warnings then that you can read of in Scripture. Um, I mentioned to you um, 1 Corinthians, right? Um, about how we ought not to think of ourselves. I, I, not more than 1 Corinthians, it was Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, the latter part of that verse. Don't think you are better than you really are. I think that was a New Living Translation. I like the way it was written as far as that phrase of ourselves. Because we're, we're not. We're just... When you compare ourselves to, I guess, everyone else in the world, we're just average. Maybe if we compare ourselves in a small little pond, we might be above average or below average in this little pond of ours. In the grand scheme. And then 
the big picture, before God, we're really nothing. Not as far as wisdom is concerned. We lack wisdom, in fact. And if not ourselves, then when we look at the warnings to others, and of course we know of the passage in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged for with what judgment you use. And we, we get that, right? Here in Romans 14, we are told, who are you to judge another's servant? Right? So and that passage in Romans 14 was, you have people with knowledge here saying you can eat meats that have been offered to idols. And you got knowledge on this side that says you cannot eat meats that have been offered to idols because it's like worshiping them. Two people, opposite ends, both with knowledge, both who love God, both trying to serve the Lord. But yet one type of knowledge is the one that would judge. And he says you're destroying the very one Christ died for. Okay. And then if you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, I want you to turn over there and spend just a, just a few seconds here on this passage because I want you to see the, the totality of what we're talking about with these two contrasting forms of what's called wisdom in James. So in chapter 2, very similar to what was written in Romans 14, beginning in verse 11, he said, In him, in Christ, that is, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. What he's saying is, God is amazing. You were dead, and God, with his son, raised you up to life. That's an amazing gift that you've been received, that you've received from him. And having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. Now, that said, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So here's the whole backdrop to what he's now going to say. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. We talked about that just a, a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, right? So he said these things have been put away. And there are people who are still going to be judging you, and he says, don't let them do that to you. Let no one cheat you of your reward, he goes on to say in verse 18. Taking delight in false humility. See the judgment, the wisdom being employed? Taking delight, again, in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That's his wisdom. Not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, which grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from those basic principles of the world, why? As though living in the world, do you subject yourselves? Here's what you do to one another. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All things concerning with the using are according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things have an appearance 
of wisdom in self-imposed religion. The reality is this is false humility, neglect of the body, which of no value are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Whether you do the indulgence of the flesh or you go to this opposite extreme, that false humility, that wisdom, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, does not build up. You're actually destroying each other with that. That's what he says. So it is with this mindset that James... Or Jacob, if you want to go there. He is basically saying you have different kinds of wisdom. One that is going to build up, one that's going to destroy. And with that then is the form of this letter. And this letter is a very practical letter. In fact, when you look at James, as I was studying about the letter itself, there are those that regard James as the book of Proverbs for the New Testament. And I like the way that sounds because you're dealing with wisdom, right? book of Proverbs and you're having like the book of Proverbs a contrast between the right way to wisdom and the wrong way to wisdom right and so here is what James is doing he is saying you know I want you you're going through these trials but I want you to ask of God if you lack anything because in verse 4 look at what he says in the opening of this letter he says let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and he plays on that lacking nothing and says, but if any of you do lack, or in this case, lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, it will be given to him. He says, basically, but ask in faith. All right. So think about where you are in your walk with God. We all have knowledge, but that's not what this is talking about, Right? We are told if we lack anything, ask for God, ask from God wisdom. Because this is the wisdom that will make us complete. Well, what kind of wisdom is it? Is it the kind of wisdom that says, well, here's how I know how I can uh, come to God and worship him? What does James say? What did Paul say? Paul said, here's how you have a relationship with God and how you have a relationship with man. That's what they are saying. That's the focus of their information and if we follow that same focus particularly in this letter here's what we get we get this contrast look at verse 9 let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation why not because he's so amazing but because of what God has done to exalt him on the flip side but let the rich not glory in his exaltation, but let him glory in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. In other words, all that, you know, the richness of your looks. The richness of your finances, the richness of your life, whatever it is, it fades away. So be humble. But you who are lowly in estimation of yourself, exalt in that God has exalted you. Exalt in him. Exalt in the fact that you have glory from God. So 
that's kind of how he starts off this letter, and he continues to build on this concept of how you employ this kind of wisdom. So here's the center point then. Right? The main point of this letter, if we're looking at it, is the idea of having heavenly wisdom. And I want you to see this, because remember about, oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine months ago, we were looking at the Shema, that sermon about the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? And then employed in the New Testament is the Shema everywhere. And I told you it's everywhere, but sometimes it's just not very explicit. Explicit like Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Or he asked that lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. So that's explicit. James does it implicitly. Look at what he says. As we're talking about heavenly wisdom and using this Shema about loving your God and loving neighbors, look at what he goes on to say. Verse 19 of James chapter 1, and then we see this employed throughout the letter. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now here's where the Shema comes in. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Remember, that's what the word Shema means, to listen, right? Ultimately, it means to do. That's what the Shema is all about. But he goes on and he makes that implicit statement right here be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forget for hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does so, God's word, you look at it, you don't walk away and forget, you become a doer of it. And here's the application. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, verse 26, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And here is how wisdom is employed through his word. Visit orphans, widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What is most unfortunate about this passage among brethren, among us, right? Oftentimes we'll look at this and some, not all, but some will say, that, that's like social gospel. That's not. This is actual, the pure religion. Not defiled religion, but undefiled religion. Religion where you're employing the word of God. And that is you loving your neighbor because you love God. That's what he's saying here. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Right? If any of you think yourself religious or synonymously, if you think yourself wise, pay attention to these words, he says. Now, here's the application. Right? So, James 1 sets the tone for what we're looking at in this letter. Application is found in chapters 2, 3, and 4. You can even go into chapter 5, but really you see the meat and potatoes in chapters 2, 3, and 4. And that's what we're seeing in this point. Look at these points right here. Chapter 2. Here's how we treat others. 
And he uses an illustration of when someone comes into the assembly, someone who is maybe poor, and they represent what is poor. Maybe their clothing looks bad. Maybe their hygiene is bad. Whatever, because they're poor, right? They don't have the means of having nice threads. And you'll see, by and large, the wisdom of Christians in action. And the wisdom in action is going to be heavenly or demonic. Heavenly, here's someone who's come into our midst and we receive them well. Receive them as guests. Receive them with the love of God. Demonic wisdom. That person stinks. I want nothing to do with them. I'll let someone else say hi to them. See, who of us would want to admit that outwardly? Not me. But is it inward? Is, do I have that thought? Do I have that feeling inwardly about this person that walks through the door? Flip side. Someone wealthy comes into our services. And let's just say this wealthy visitor has moved to Franklin, Tennessee looking for a church family. And you see where the wisdom that is demonic can come in. Oh, he'd make for a great addition to our congregation. The poor, that person is only going to be a needy leech. Talk about getting judgmental. That's what happens when we have these kinds of judgments. See, so what James is doing, he says, beware of, you know, having favoritism toward one because of the way they look or because of their wealth or because of their culture, whatever it may be, one that is esteemed and another one that is judged. That is not heavenly wisdom. That is not the way of Christ. So how you treat others, very key. Look at verses 89 of the, of the passage. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, this is like James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says very similarly, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will do well. You show partiality, however, you commit sin. So that's how you treat others. Then he goes on in chapter 3. And he says, here's how we ought to speak to one another. All right? So he says in verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And it just brings me back, whether it's of myself or other brethren that I've come to know over the years, that... Have this air, like because I have the lectern in a Bible class setting, I know it all. And I ask your forgiveness if I ever come across that way. I really ask for your forgiveness. That's the last thing, because I know I don't know it all. But I should not even have an air of knowing it all. Because I, I know I can be wrong. I've been wrong many times. You've corrected me. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Let not many of you become teachers. He goes on to talk about what happens as we speak to others and how we come across, right? He goes on to say in verse 2, the reality. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's perfect. He's a perfect man. If you can hold your tongue and use it wisely, you are like that man, complete man, 1 Corinthians 13 where love and wisdom are, are combined as one, or, or in Ephesians 2 or in Ephesians chapter 4, complete man. 
right? So he goes on to say this in similar terms. He is able, or he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? It's like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words are the worst. They are much worse than sticks and stones. Look at what they can do. They can destroy. And so he shows the contrast of wisdom between these two, right? The one that builds up and the one that destroys. Or how about chapter 4? Whether we treat each other or speak to each other, here's how we think of each other when we judge one another. So in, in James chapter 4, I want you to read this with me. Beginning in verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because he was actually talking about the contrast between those with humility and those with pride. Just the previous context, right? The whole verses 1 through 6. So, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, devil, and he will flee from you. This is not dealing necessarily with just one kind of sin. He's applying the sin of pride. Now, he'll apply it beyond that because he goes on to do so. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord lift you up do not speak evil of one another brethren he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you're not a doer of the law but a judge there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy who are you to judge another you know, that passage oftentimes Judge not lest you be judged, you know. Do not judge one another, Colossians. Or as Romans, again, is stated, who are we to judge another's servant or another's master? Or excuse me, the servant of another master. So the whole point being is that we have the reality of wisdom and what kind of wisdom are we employing? The passage in, in Matthew chapter 7, when we talk about with what judgment we use, it shall be meted out to us. Well, what judgment is it? Is it one full of grace and mercy? Or is it one that condemns? And why does it condemn? Because I'm better than you? That has no place in Christ. And so this letter, this New Testament Proverbs book, if you will, is showing us one of two types of wisdom, heavenly wisdom or demonic wisdom. So I'm, I'm asking you, as you look through this, what kind of wisdom do you employ in your daily walk? When you get out of this room, after we all the nice smiles and we greeting each other and saying goodbye with love, do we practice that same kind of love when we get home, when we go to the workplace, when we're with our neighbors, when we're out on Interstate 65 and there's an accident and we're bumper to bumper and whatever the station of life may be or wherever we are in circumstances, 
How do we employ the kind of wisdom that we read here in James? I'm going to reread what Parker read for us, and I want you to take this home with you, if you will, about this kind of wisdom, because he's asking, who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. You want wisdom that's above? Your fruit will show what kind of wisdom you employ. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. If, however, you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth, which is you're supposed to have wisdom with humility. This kind of wisdom, the one that boasts and lies against the truth, does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. Because where there is envy and self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing are also there. But the wisdom that is from above is first, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. He had just went through the entire letter, and that's exactly of all the things that he was discussing. That's the kind of wisdom that employs loving God and loving your neighbor, the Shema. So when we kind of take a, a look, if you will, and kind of conclude with everything that James has with his letter, the question that he is asking here in the middle of this letter that actually represents the entirety of this letter is this. What kind of wisdom do you use? Are you going to be the kind that God will judge you as having humility, meekness, or the kind that is prideful and arrogant, the kind that looks down upon others, the kind that, that has false humility attached to it. Looks good on the outward, but the heart is not there. That's what he's asking. So over the next three months, when we go through the series of, of lessons that, well, I guess Half of the series is by our brothers in Christ here. And so, man, I commend you to the task that you have. The other half is going to be from uh, gospel preachers that will be coming from out of town, and they'll be giving us these lessons. But meditate on these words because the whole point of these series of lessons is to help us to become wise in Christ followers. Okay? All right, if you're here in this morning and you're listening to this message, this is what Christianity is supposed to look like. The reality is we fall short of what Christianity is supposed to look like at times because, well, the flesh comes out. And when the flesh comes out, I show the pride, I show demonic wisdom and not heavenly wisdom. But in Christ, thankfully, <laughs> he forgives us of our sins, particularly those who humble themselves and ask forgiveness of sins. And so if you're wanting to come into this kingdom to have Jesus that shows us the kind of wisdom that is from above, what he wants you to first do is practice loving God and loving your neighbor. By loving God, you will give up your own wisdom and start to develop his in your life. In other words, you become one with Christ. And as he has died for you and purchased you by his blood, he wants you to also die with him. And that's found in baptism. 
when you die, you're saying, I'm dying to sin, and I'm willing to raise up and walk in newness of life, to follow you, follow your heavenly wisdom, not my demonic one. And brethren, if you are in need of the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a great opportunity for us to pray for you. Why don't you do that? It's together we stand and sing the song that's announced.